Hi, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of Chatting with Creators. I am so excited to be partnering with White Bear PR for this very special episode where we get to talk to several composers about their recent experience taking films to the world-renowned Sundance Film Festival. I'm also joined today by Berkeley student Nate um, as a guest co-host on the show for the first time. Nate, you want to give a quick intro for viewers who haven't heard your voice before? Sure thing. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Nate Bryant. I'm currently a fifth semester student at Berkeley School of Music. Uh, my major is film scoring, and I am very much looking forward to getting some more insight and information and to hear about everyone's experiences composing and working with creators at Sundance. All right, and let's jump right into it. For anyone on the panel, what does it mean to take a film to Sundance versus other film festivals? I mean, as a composer who's just come out of her undergrad, I've had so many films, you know, do their festival circuit, but never come close to something like this. Hi, I'm Heather McIntosh, composer of the film Cat Person. Susanna Fogel is the uh, director. And um, I guess I'd say it was the first place I ever had a narrative film premiere um, back when I first started scoring. So it has a special place in my heart for that. And also the Institute as well, because I've... Uh, tried like six times to get in that uh their film and sound program that they had before I finally got in but um so put those things together and I think it's it, it's just kind of a little bit like home after six films up there so special hey I'm Ryan Rummery and uh the film I had was Food and Country directed by Laura Gabbert um I'm a lot actually like Heather too. I I think I tried eight or nine times to get into that S Sundance lab. And it was just one of those things that I had like always tried for, you know, other composers that, that had mentored me, you know, had, had been a part of the lab or had had films at Sundance. And, it, and it's just one of those wonderful things, you know, just, just to be a part of it and, and to like strive for and, also, just the the community involved within Sundance, it's just so much different than like Tribeca and South by. I feel like more people connect at Sundance than they do at, at other festivals. I don't, I don't know what you all think of that, but that's kind of been my past experience as well. Um, hi, I'm Nanita Desai, and I'm the composer of The Deepest Breath, directed by Laura McGann. That premiered at Sundance this year. Um, and for, I, I live in London, uh, in the UK, on the other side of the pond. So for me, I was first aware of Sundance um, quite a few years ago uh, with the Sundance Music Lab program. And uh, and it I didn't even think that it was something that, it, it was such an unattainable reach for me to possibly even dream of attending the Sundance Music Lab. So. I've been aware of the festival for years, and from my perspective, I mean, it's just grown over the last 20, 30 years, you know, to be one of the most respected film festivals on the planet uh, and on the circuit. So it's very, very competitive. They have thousands of entries. So to be one of the 130-odd films to have been selected is so prestigious, and many of the films have gone on to have such wide distribution and uh, and be award winning on the circuit that it's a huge cheer of joy when my my first Sundance was only 
20, January 2020 with another film, The Reason I Jump. And then, of course, the whole world shut down for three years after that. And then to come back again to Sundance with my next film was just, um, it's its like ticks one of my professional bucket lists, um, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, it's great. <laughs> Hi, um, my name is Patrick Johnson, and I'm the composer of uh, a film called Scrapper, uh, which was at Sundance this year, and it was uh, directed by a director called Charlotte Reagan. And um, yeah, uh, Sundance for me is really special. I also live in London, like Nanita does, and we know each other. And, um, and yeah, I've only been once before, and it's a really, really special festival. I mean, in all senses, but also like, as here, from being from Europe, it feels like very, like Nanita said, unattainable and, and far away. So it's such a privilege to, to have been part of it. And, and also the setting of being in the snow. And there's something quite special about it uh, for me, for sure. Uh, hey, I'm Dabney Morris. I uh, composed music for the film. Um, Sometimes I think about dying, uh, directed by Rachel Lambert at Sundance this year as well. Um, and this is the first time I'd ever I'd ever done Sundance, so uh, or ever been there like with a film. So, and the thing that was wild to me about it going in, and I think that it that it meant a lot in a lot of ways, is because like all of a sudden, like in certain peer circles, like it sort of people were like, oh. This, he's he's actually a composer like he's not you know he's not just like just doing this music thing um and so i think that meant a lot like it it, it sort of feels you know like a, a little bit like oh man like it, it's sort of um affirmation that you know okay i i'm not horrible at this i i, I guess i do kind of know what i'm doing and i should keep doing it <laughs> you know but um but yeah it's it was it was an incredible experience i'm so glad so glad we got to go with our with our film my name is Brian McComber, and, and my film was called Fair Play, directed by Chloe Domont. And um, yeah, I, I would probably just second everything everyone else has said. Uh, it's such it's really fun to go from here in Los Angeles to a winter wonderland at Sundance. So it feels magical. It feels um, yeah, it, it just feels like you're in a, a a a special place. And it is that as well. But um other than that, I guess like I would just the only other thing I would add is for younger people. And I know this has happened to a lot of directors I've worked with is if your film doesn't get into Sundance, don't feel like you failed. If this is the, you know, like to to say, you know, second what Dabney just said when my first time going there, I was like, oh, wait, maybe I am actually a composer. I wasn't even going to go. I'm just like a musician. And this happened and I went. And next thing I know, I was spent I was at Cannes with another I just like it happened that way and so Sundance was a big part of that but I would say over the years having a few films not get in sometimes it can be a blessing too I had one film that didn't get into Sundance and it did really well at South by Southwest and it ended up being the only film that was at Cannes that year in the director's fortnight so yeah don't let don't let Sundance be the only thing that defines your career as a younger person but yeah it's it's obviously great to go. I'm sure everyone would agree. Was I the last one? Yes, you are. Okay. <laughs> Wait, 
Jordan, well, Jordan, Jordan has yet to go, but mic he is, is muted. They're figuring out their uh, audio right now. Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh. Okay, so Jordan. Hi. Um, yeah, hey, Brian. I'm Jordan Dykstra. I composed uh, the music for 20 Days in Mariupol, um, which was directed by Mrs. Slav Chernoff. Um, and to kind of piggyback on what Brian was saying, um, uh, when we found out we got in, Mrs. Slough, um was like, what is Sundance? And everyone at the production company was like, this is a huge deal for us. We've never gotten a frontline documentary into Sundance. So he was quickly realizing that um, it was a lot more special than, than he could have imagined. But he's like, he's not, he's a first time filmmaker, but he's, he's a journalist and um, works for the AP. So he, he, film festivals, I don't think were on his radar. That being said, he um, made an amazing film and did this very special, um, made this special document and did it. I think we all enjoyed seeing each other. That was very special. Not that, um, unique to Sundance, but finally getting to be around all the filmmakers in person. Uh, at least for me, I was working remote the entire time. So uh, yeah, that was special. And then in a very wintry wonderland uh, type of place made it all the more special. So yeah. Uh, I think that is everyone. So I'm going to throw a second question out there for you guys. Um, all of you have experience in this by now, but how much do you find that film festivals, Sundance and non-Sundance included, uh, consider the importance of musical score in their judging process? Um, okay, I'm gonna be first off the bat here and be controversial, maybe not so controversial, and say that uh, if you're judging uh, the film and all the other cat the non-musical categories, I think that the music is um, not considered as being very important in the process. And, and there's a very valid reason for that. I mean, you know, uh, juries are non-mute, tend not to be... Um, composers, you know, they're filmmakers uh, in some whatever capacity. So um, I think obviously the score does affect people on a very subconscious level, and that is having an effect on how the film is being perceived for them. But um, unless there's an award specifically for music, for best music, juries don't really consider it because they're not aware of it. And some people may argue and say, well, you know, I mean, if the music is great, you're not going to notice it in a film. If you, if the music is noticed, then you go, something's wrong here. You know, um, something's not quite working because the, the music has to be embedded into the, into the narrative and the sonic landscape of the film so that it works harmoniously with the film. And that's, I think, when a, you know, you have a really successful score, whether it's subtle or whether it's bold and distinctive and noisy and shouty um, as a musical score. I think that music has a huge impact on um, it's the hidden character in a film. But whether um, juries actively notice it um, and realize um, how important it is to their perception is something that's perhaps a little overlooked and, and hidden. 
I would love to hear uh, a jury answer this question. I'm, I would be very curious. I have a few acquaintances who have done such a thing, and some of them are arguably bigger music files than I am, and some of them really don't like music at all. And so I'm, I'm very, I, I'm in the boat where I, I feel like it's, it's, it's case by case, you know, like a film like like Dabney's, uh, you should talk about yours because music is such a, 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 a feature and it was it was mixed to be heard very specifically, like as such um, that film, you know, it would it, it, you'd be you'd be missing so much if you didn't take that into account versus like a documentary like mine it's it's more it's a lot of underscore you know it's like it's really not meant to be heard it's just meant to be felt um that being said there, there's always moments where you can bring this stuff out but i don't know kind of case by case i would say yeah i mean i i think i would agree i mean i think it just depends on the film right i mean i i don't think that there's one way that a score is supposed to be in the same way that there's not one way that cinematography is supposed to be there's not one way that a performance is supposed to be it all just depends on the larger narrative of the film so i would agree with nanita that if if you know if score is doing the right job it's building towards the greater thing which is the film itself so i think that i, I don't think i wouldn't imagine that any jury is going to be like man the film was horrible but damn that score so let's like knock it to the you know i i think i mean you know listen if you're the composer on that film and you win because everyone's like we hated the film but the score was incredible like good, good for you but I, I don't think anybody i don't think anybody would here would say like you know have ever thought like yeah i hope that's the case like people notice the score more than the film you know it's like it's all working towards one larger larger um you know piece which is bigger than all the parts but it's the sum of the parts, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely just a big part of the storytelling. You know, we're all aiming toward that. And and when it all sings together, that's, you know, hopefully that's why we're doing it is to like really find that sweet spot of marrying, you know, picture and sound. So we're part of it, definitely. But uh, yeah, like Dabney said, probably not just because of the score. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point. I was surprised when I, you know, went to the Sundance website for the first time and on almost all their homepages, the word score comes out once uh, regarding music. Um, and when it comes up, it has to do with um, specifically the film, The Territory. That's the only time it comes up. Uh, I would also say, though, that they one thing I like about the festival is when they post all the credits on the website, they always list the composer. If if they're brought up, they they put the composer. A lot of other film festivals kind of it's just because of resources, like they don't have the man or female or person power to like uh, actually put in every credit. So like you might have the director, editor and the stars, but you may not always have the our role in there. And I would love to have that change more so we can really see, see what the, what's going on. What's, what's making the pudding. You say, I don't know. Yes, absolutely. And sometimes the credit needs to say stock music because sometimes that's what happens. Or just not listed either way, but yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I have to agree. I have to agree. Sorry to interrupt. I mean, I, no, have to go for it. I have to agree with Heather. Is that one of the most, the loveliest things about Sundance is the way they acknowledge music in very subtle ways and not so subtle ways, you know, with the support that composers have during the festival. But that's one thing that I really noticed is that you go on the website and you're browsing through the films and you go, oh, they've actually bothered to mention who the composer is or the DOP or the editor, but specifically the composer. And there are no, or very rare to find other festivals that do that on their websites. So yay to Sundance for doing that. I would say also that um, some festivals, like I know South by Southwest has sort of a whole section devoted to music documentaries. Now that doesn't necessarily mean at all that us composers would be featured even, probably honestly, even less in those situations. But again, every film festival is is quite different. Their programming is quite different. The kind of films and the even the kind of like stories they want to platform are going to be quite different. So Sundance, again, has one particular thing. And I think all of us would agree that, or at least I, I don't know of any other film festival that has labs for composers like this. I've never done them, but um. I would I would have loved to, but also I like everyone else here probably applied and got turned down. So at one point. So um, however, I, I, I think like there is a lot more resources w- within Sundance dedicated to film composing. But that. Um, yeah, like you could have your film play at Sundance and, and the score could get more notice than any other film festival or it could go to a different film festival and get more notice. It's I, I don't know how you would maybe. Um, how you'd, how you'd objectively, you know, judge that. But uh, it is true that um, the, the descriptions do include composer, which is really nice. And, and that little thing, you know, <laughs> such a small thing, but I think for, for, for what we do and knowing, and I think I think directors and producers especially appreciate that we're, we're oftentimes such a fabric of the work itself. Um, it's nice to be recognized and yeah, I guess that's all to add. Awesome. I'm going to pop us to our next question. Do you think that emerging film composers, um, people who are now, you know, making that leap from student or hobbyist into professional, should they be more aware of film festivals in general and be participating more? I mean, I know that when I was an undergrad, I'd have my friends who are film students and be like, yeah, we have this week off because we're all going to this music festival and they consider it to be really important as part of our education for us to be participating in these things. And myself who was studying film composition, I was like, wait, should I also be going to these things? Because I had only ever gone to festivals if I had a film that I had scored that was going to be in it. I suppose... Um, Go ahead. (laughs) Okay, I'll go first. I would say like, I would suppose if it's not time or cost prohibitive, I think these festivals can be a little expensive sometimes to attend and to fully take advantage of if you don't have a film. And even when you do have a film, sometimes it can be. But if you can make it work somehow, if you can crash, the first times I went, I was, again, first time I went, I was lucky to have a, a feature there and the director booked a house for us all and we were able to crash on the couch. It was great. But my experience after that, not every production is willing to put up composers. And so you might spend $300 a night on a room 
And if you want to stay for, if you want to stay for the festival and really get, take advantage of it and, you know, have the opportunity to just bump into people, start conversations and maybe start a, some sort of relationship that might evolve into working together someday. You, you kind of, it, yeah, it, it doesn't hurt to be there and to be on the ground. However, um, I would just say that uh, you don't have to do that. And also, yeah, it's it's not it's not something I think everyone can afford either just with the funds or sometimes the time. But um, I don't think it can hurt to show up. I would just say that, yeah, you have a film there. You're part of a crew. They're going to get you into these sometimes, unfortunately, like just there's a lot of guards <laughs> like literally keeping you out pushing you out of the way if your name's not on a list to get into this here that party so my experience has been it's been good if you have a film there and your production is really generous other times maybe it's not so important i don't know does anyone else i don't want to i don't want to be too negative here but i yeah. i wonder if anyone else has that experience over the years maybe heather maybe you oh. do i know you've been going for a while oh, yeah. Cool. Patrick, you go ahead and then I'll jump in. For no, I was going to say, I totally agree with you, Brian, on everything. It's like all the points, like if you're able to do it, then it's fantastic. I mean, there's so many, I guess being a composer is quite a, a solitary profession uh, in general. So like being able to be in a place where you're celebrating with the rest of the, the team, like, like I met crew members now in, in Sundance that I'd never met before. And like, you know, we'd, we'd like Instagram messaged or something say like, Hey, good job. But, um, but now we actually got to hang out and they're wonderful people and they're friends for life now. And, and um, also there's like the side of actually going to watch films. It doesn't have to be Sundance. It can be your local film festival down the road. That's like, doesn't cost X amount of money to go to and stuff like just someone said earlier that all festivals are different and curated differently. And I think there's something interesting about like, okay, what's the topic in that particular festival right now? It's like, just absorb all that information and bump into people who are you're like, Oh, I hated that. That was no good. But then this one over here, I loved it. And I res that resonates with me and the people that go to that, like I connect with them. And I don't know. So I, it can't hurt. I think like Brian says, like, it's probably worth thinking about. I don't think it's something you have to like track or something. It's, it's not like, um, you know, just for career purposes or something, but it's, I think it can help enrich you and your relationships. And, and you probably will bump into people that you have a kinship with and might work with together in the future. Um, that's my take. Yeah. Um, I definitely would say like, I know if you have a film, definitely try to go, like definitely try to go. And then also just try to see as much stuff beyond your, your premiere as you can, especially with shorts and all the various like integrated media projects where you can really just sort of like find your own creative team beyond your film. And then also with your films, I feel like, you know, that first film that I worked on that went to Sundance, like one of the actors in it, who I would never have met if I wasn't at the festival, um, had a film that he directed. And then I ended up scoring that film. And then the producer from that film, brought me on for another project that brought me on to the thing that the editor was on from the next thing, you know, like, it's just like that more organic version of like, I used to want to puke in my mouth when I'd hear the word networking, but like, there's something really beautiful about finding people that are making art that you connect to and you want to connect with them. And so I feel like that's a beautiful place for it. Another thing, if you're, of course, money is stressful, 
go with a car full of people, hop in however you can, share a room, or there also is volunteer. Um, there's a ton of volunteers there. And I know composers who have gone in the past when they first were figuring out their career just to be able to see everything and meet all these other great filmmakers. So like, and I do believe they've set up housing for you if you're a volunteer or they can or help you. So it'd be worth looking into that. I don't know with the new formatting how that works, but I know that tons of filmmakers, they're all film integrated people that are doing that volunteer work. And they're such an important part to the festival. Yeah, yes to everything everyone said. Um, totally agree with you all. And um, I mean, I started going to, there's a, there's a major festival in the UK that I started going to about 12 years ago. And I was going to this festival when there were no other composers there. So, you know, going to festivals on a multi-layered level, you've got two levels. One, just to enjoy being uh, watching other people's creativity other people's films it's so enriching um and that that's a wonderful thing to to attend not just movies and and but but going to talks uh, i mean i went to a talk at sundance this year about intimacy coordinating and i felt i could connect with it uh, on a music level because you know just it was really interesting so and then I met other people and, and we just got to hang out and expanded my network from that but then also on the other hand on the business side of things um, just uh, networking that horrible word and uh, but I've made connections at this festival in the UK when I first started going about 10 years ago 10 12 years ago that transformed my career you know, I met a, a, a filmmaker. I went to a pitching panel, which had nothing to do with music. And I watched other filmmakers squirm in front of commissioners and execs trying to get their films made. And it was a public forum where a whole audience sitting there watching directors and filmmakers pitch their film. And one of the films that uh, won, I actually approached the filmmaker afterwards and said, I love your story. I love your story. I, I would love to work with you. And, and he said, yeah, sure, sure. Let's keep in touch. It took three years for him to get that film made and we kept in touch and I scored it. And that just transformed my career. And there's another, uh, and the same thing happened again. Um, when I went to the festival about four years ago um, and I went to a screening, it was the last day of the of the festival, it was nine o'clock in the morning, and I just loved the sound and the story of this film. And I was going to grab a train back to London, and I thought, I've got three hours to kill. I'm going to watch this movie. I watched it, went listened to the Q and A afterwards. The direct went up to the director, said, "I loved your film," and he said. We had a great chat and we met up in London a few months later and we kept in touch. And two years later, he contacted me and said, I've got a, I've got a film that I think we can collaborate on. Would you like to score it? And that film got into Sundance three years ago and won the audience award at Sundance. So my takeaway is that you never know where your connections are going to come from. And it's just you get to meet like minded souls. You know, you you just get on and you appreciate other people's creativity. It's just the best thing to go to a festival if you can afford it. And it was a big deal for me. You know, I couldn't afford it. And I had to scrape my pennies together, you know, sleep on someone's couch. Um, but boy, it was worth it. Um, those sort of 12 years ago. 
I think something um, to add to, to add to all this, I think something I've learned during the pandemic is like, you know, do, just doing a lot of projects remote and not being around people. And then, you know, things kind of like uh, simmering a little bit right now and just the value of, you know, of being at Sundance and being around people and also, you know, just other film festivals. And I just and I find that like after a couple of years of having meetings with directors and producers, over Zoom, like you think like you're connecting with someone, but you really do. I think just like, I mean, at least for me, I feel like I connect better when I'm in the room, you know, with someone in my ideas or I'm talking about something and, and just, uh, you know, meeting people. And uh, the director that for, for my film, uh, Laura Gabbard, I, um, I did a uh, I did a additional music in it. And um, it was this, this film called um, City of Gold. And I, actually came to the premiere of it to like meet her and to talk to her because you know she didn't know me because the editor just put the music in and like if I wouldn't have done that I probably never would have had that relationship that I that I have with her now and I think just really just strongly feel that it's like so great to be in the same room with people as it was to meet some of you all that that's on this panel in person and it's just so empowering to be a composer. Cause like, I mean, I'm sitting in my little workspace right now and hardly ever get to leave it. So it's really great to just be out of this space and like meet people and hang out with them. That is super insightful. Um, kind of moving on to something that you had just said, Ryan, um, what are some of the greatest challenges or issues that you all have faced, whether it be musical, technical, or communications wise while working on these films, especially for those of you, uh, like yourself, Ryan, who have probably had to deal with a majority of remote work or communication over long distances? Do you mean about the specific project that we worked on? Um, uh, yeah, it can be a specific project film. or anything in the past that you have experienced in that realm as well. Yeah, so on, on this film, Scrapper, um, uh, I think one of the biggest challenges I was facing was trying to figure out what the tone should be of the, of the film, to be honest. I mean, I guess that's a lot of projects, but this one in particular I found really difficult. Um, it's about a 12-year-old girl named Georgie. And I think we knew pretty early on that we wanted it to be from her perspective. And it's a film about grief. She just lost her, her, her mom and, and her dad who hasn't been in the picture since she was born comes, comes back after her mom dies. And so it's a film about grief, but it's full of comedy and, and joyful moments and sort of youthful exuberance. And, and it's also quite fantastical in a lot of moments um, and from her imagination. So what does that sound like? That combination of things, and and how do you find the balance where you don't stray into into uh, being overly dramatic, and but also how do you capture also the the sort of flurry of activity and in a mind that can't quite express itself properly because it's not mature yet; it's it's a, a, a child. So um, it was trying to find these sort of fluttering textures that could sort of exist almost like a cacophony in her mind, but also full of warmth and life at the same time, and um, and there's, without giving too much away in the, in the, uh, in the film, there's this structure that she builds, which is um, out of metal. And it's sort of how she um, sort of deals with her grief. And it's, it's sort of like a, a um, uh, built of like 
bicycles and pots and pans and various things. And it's this sort of mountain she has to climb in order to conquer her, her grief in a way. And um, so I knew I wanted it to be made of metallic sounds because it's in the film. And if you, that whole thing we were talking about earlier about having it be sort of like really linked to the fabric of, of the project. So how do you um, make, use metallic instruments, but still have something really warm and, and sort of uh, staying on the right side of things. So for me, that was my biggest challenge. And hopefully we managed to achieve it, but it was a great challenge. I really enjoyed it. And the director was amazing to keep pushing me always. <clears throat> yeah, um, my film was, is The Deepest Breath, and it's a feature documentary uh, focused on one of the most extreme sports in the world today, uh, freediving. But this film is so much more than that. It's more than, it's not really a sports documentary. It's a film that follows this champion freediver, Alessia, this young Italian woman who, uh, following her from the age of 12, as she becomes um, a world champion freediver. And she forms this trusting bond and beautiful friendship with this expert safety diver who she ends up working with and they fall in love. And, and it's so, it's a very um, multi-layered film emotionally. It's this personal journey and it was very challenging um, in terms of finding the tone of the film, working with the documentary director, Laura McGann. It was, it's a kind of a debut feature documentary. And so I guess communication and language was an interesting hurdle. Um, I remember Laura saying to me that she finds it very difficult to communicate what she wants uh, musically. And I said, please don't speak to me in terms of music. Just we'd create, she would create these amazing Spotify playlists and, and find music from all over the place. And we'd spend long, hour long, sort of hours and hours of long conversations dissecting what she liked about these pieces and these elements of music, kind of electronics or strings and, you know, what it was that it meant to her. So we ended up creating for these two characters in the film, two tonally separate sort of palettes of sounds for their music. Um, Stephen, this, this safety diver she falls in love with, has is his the cello and the strings are his sound. And Alessia, she's kind of sort of contemporary, edgy, bold. So we'd have um, electronics, but with um, the human voice as well, uh, the female voice, and then these two elements come together as we discover they they fall in love, which is really beautiful. And um, but then we also having to deal with other voices in the film, which are exec producers, and we'd been I think I've been working on it, worked on the whole film for just under a year. Uh, we were in the edit for a very long period of time. And the score obviously naturally evolves organically while you're working on the film. And uh, these other voices came in and said, we don't want these electronics. Take them out. <laughs> we, want, we love the organic acoustic quality to the music. So after working on it for about seven or eight months, I had this total sort of gear change in having to rethink some of the elements, some of the cues, which was which was a challenge. And I and I think, you know, everyone has a very valid 
perspective and point of view. And I think they were right in the end, um, though I would love to have injected a little bit more electronica into the cues. But um, but um, it's, you know, and also the sound quality of the film with the archive was very poor quality. And you have um, a lot of the film is filmed underwater, these beautiful, amazing underwater sound and seascapes. So sonically, I was having to, you know, technically it was quite a challenge to blend, the, you know, create music that could, you know, with stems that we could then hear and battle against the um, the sound design and um, and the old archive quality of the audio. <clears throat> so that was, uh, that, I mean, we got there in the end and sometimes the sound would lead and sometimes the music would lead. <clears throat> and you'd hear these heartbeat type sounds that would, you'd actually hear the opening of the film starts off with someone in real time diving down a hundred meters and diving back up. And all you hear is the sound of the heart just getting slower and slower and slower until there is no heartbeat when the diver comes up to the surface and you're witnessing this film in real time. And for me, that's one of the most powerful moments in the film, but there's no music on it. So, you know, it's just finding that balance between where to place music and where not to have music is really important in how it affects us emotionally. So that was, that was a fun challenge, um, you know, uh, fun challenges uh, over the course of the film. Sometimes I don't, I don't know how fun that can be when a producer jumps in in the ninth hour and says they want to hear this or that, having not done that <laughs> at any point. I'd, I just wanted, because that kind of like uh, gave me shivers of an experience where I worked really, really hard on the score with two directors who also had two different opinions. I've done a, a couple different films that have more than one director, but um and in the end, I should just say also, everyone has the the film's best interest in mind. I'm not saying anyone's trying to sabotage anything. Producers oftentimes have come in after I finished something and, and said something like, you know, I don't hear a melody that I can remember. I watched the film and the melody didn't stick in my head. Mm-hmm. And I remember talking with the directors and be like, well, we didn't talk about melody at all. In fact, we wanted to push away from having a melody. So when is this coming in? And you know, one of the so so to get to the question, one of the harder things for me in the past has been making everyone happy when everyone has completely different ideas about what the score is to be. And I'm yeah. sure I see a lot of heads nodding here. So <laughs> that's one thing that's trickiest for me as I get older doing this stuff is at what point do you bring the producers in? At what point do you just trust that the director has those the complete trust of the producers? In the case with this movie, Fair Play. You know, the producers didn't ask me about anything other than what I needed and when it was going to be ready, which was great. And it was because Chloe, the director, um, made everyone fear her. I mean, she was just a force to be reckoned with. And I I just loved that. Like, I love when a director is fierce and is going to stand up for what they believe in. But you can't always say that. And in this situation I just mentioned where the producers asked me to kind of go back and do that and the directors were like well you know can we and I said I guess we can we should I think the music became better so I'm not saying every time it was just like something that oh I wish I knew that from the beginning uh maybe I could have saved myself a lot of time and money because the other most difficult part about what we do is making budgets figuring out exactly how to allocate those resources 
like maybe you wanted a like you were just talking about a whole electronic score well i i see you have a lot of electronics back there so you can probably do that yourself but if you then show it to the producers and they're like well i was hoping for a string quartet well then we have to go back to the board we've already agreed on all these terms and maybe we need to figure out about you know putting up some additional funds to do that so those for me are the most difficult things about making film scores actually making music is I was saying it to the other day, it's sort of for me, like taking a shower, I just do it and it comes and I don't, sometimes I'd take a really, really awesome shower, you know, other times, uh, you know, I just sit in the shower and I'm just like thinking, and I realize I've just been sitting in the shower, wasting water for five minutes, but maybe not the best shower. Uh, <laughs> I use that as the driest analogy I can because making music, I, it's just, I just turn on the water and I, I make music, but to make music that is going to work for the picture, work for what the director wants, what the director, like what the producer's idea of the picture is, um, you know, that's the difficult part is, is making everybody happy and, you know, coming up with language to specifically with the director and maybe producers that they can relate to and that you can figure out how to express ideas back and forth, take feedback, and that kind of thing, because you're dealing with a lot of people that maybe don't have the same experience and in a lot of cases, musical training that some of us would have. Um, yeah, that's a that's one of the trickier parts, just to add add to that last point. There. Yeah. You should yeah. make I write music like I take a shower, your Twitter bio. <laughs> First of all, second, that sounds like a great book. I'm I don't a really, know what the book I'm would be about, but it would be a good life. book. Yeah, you don't meet a lot of guys that talk about you know, brag about being good at showering. A lot of guys want to talk about being good musicians, though. No shortage there. I don't want to be one of those people. <laughs> awesome. I would. I would also second oh, yeah, that. Uh, oh, hey. Okay. And um, also, me and Jordan worked. Yeah. We we actually worked on a couple films together here at Sundance. So, like, we collaborate a lot. So, Jordan's heard me say this kind of stuff all the time. He's like, we 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 sort of like <laughs> our therapy for each other, especially speaking on my behalf, Jordan appreciate you yeah i appreciate you too the the language can be yeah like like piggybacking on what you're saying with the language with the director and the producer whoever you're talking with editor whatever is like perpetually an interesting and unique process um and so feeling out what what to say like literally what words to say and when like when we're going to talk about a new version of a new cue uh, is like, it's so paramount. Um, and just by doing the process and getting like co-composing a lot of stuff like with Brian and just seeing the process be different every time, you kind of look, need to walk that walk and just like try it out. And it's, it's always strange and unique um, and interesting too. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever worked on a film project where the music ended up how I thought it would. And that's really exciting for me. I, I, it's just how you get there to the end while maintaining your, um, I don't know, your, uh, your presence, your essence of, of, of where you, where you feel uh, your music stands and, and what really shines or like is meaningful to you at that moment. Not that it's a precious thing, but that it's it's yours, you know? You, you got to make sure it's yours. So it can be tough. 
I just add real quick when you when you first get on a once you get that job, it's great. Sort of piggybacking off these other ideas is like the spotting session can also be like, who do we need to make sure hears this? <laughs> like if you're like who who are the guys that and gals that we need the folks that we need to make sure know about the music and how it's progressing as as you go along. I feel like that's something that like over the pandemic was hard when you're just in Zoom and like sometimes you're in Zoom with like the editor and the director in the same room and everyone's wearing a mask or something like that. And it's really hard to like get eyes on everyone. And it was really important for me. I actually went to New York a couple of times for spotting and early friends and family screening and just to really have as many opportunities to really connect. And just remember like those spotting sessions are usually beyond just like music in and out, but like you can really take that as an opportunity to really connect with your filmmakers and really like get to those bigger questions. Um, it can be so powerful. And if you can be in the same room, it's awesome. I remember now, it's awesome. <laughs> Great. Awesome, well, thank you all so much. It has been a ton of fun having you on this panel and getting to do this. I think this is one of my favorite episodes that I've had on the show so far. And we're on season four now, which makes me feel old, even though I'm 22. <laughs> so thank you all for your time and for your great um, insights into Sundance and the recent films you've worked on. Have a great weekend and thanks for being on the show. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Bye everyone. Thanks. Bye. Awesome. I wasn't sure if Heather was going to leave by herself. <laughs>